it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1160. When you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you're still in the frickin' tunnel. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so revved up and excited to introduce today's very special guest, John Oates. Hey, John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm buckled up, Mark. Let's, let's, uh, let's put pedal to the metal. Let's do this. All right. John Oates is one half of the best-selling duo of all time, Holland Oates, as well as an accomplished solo artist. Since their formation in the early 70s, Daryl Hall and John Oates have recorded 21 albums, which have sold over 80 million units. They scored 10 number one records, over 20 top 40 hits, and have toured the world for decades. All this effort has earned John numerous American Music Awards, MTV Awards, and multiple Grammy nominations. And in 2005, he and Daryl were inducted into the American Songwriters Hall of Fame, and in 2014, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. John's long solo career continues since 1999, and his latest project, entitled Arkansas, was released this year. So what on earth does all this have to do with cars? Well, I met John at Rensport this past summer, and he shared a lifelong fascination with cars and racing. So John, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share just a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for racing and automobiles before I jump into the questions? All right. Well, that's a, it's a big question, and I try to make the answer as brief as possible. <laughs> uh, you know, I was, I was kind of born to be a musician in a way. I, I began singing as a little baby. My parents recognized it. As soon as I could talk, I was singing. And, uh, of course, they were very supportive. They gave me vocal lessons uh, at five. I began to play guitar at six years old. And I've never really done anything else in my entire life except that. You know, as my career progressed and I got a little bit more successful, I began to indulge my um, interest and passion in cars and racing. And uh, it all kind of started in a very unusual way. I, um, as a little kid living in a little town called North Wales, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, I was walking down the street one day and there was a cardboard box. And I looked in the box and it was full of old road and track magazines that dated back to the early 1950s. And someone was throwing them away. I just grabbed the box and brought them home and started leafing through these early road and tracks from the early 1950s and reading about the European uh, Grand Prix races and Fangio and Sterling Moss and on all sorts of things like that and seeing these pictures of these cars that looked like they came from another planet. And uh, yeah. I just was fascinated. It just hooked me. And as time went on, I began to read about, uh, you know, especially European road racing. And then mm-hmm. eventually, um, you know, I'm going to jump way fast forward. Uh, in the <laughs> 70s, um, I ran into a, a couple people out on Long Island who were members of the West Hampton Karting Club. And um, I, got, I, I saw some kart races, and I said, wow, how do you do this? And they said, buy a kart, and we'll show you how. And uh, that's what happened. I got a go-kart and started racing at West Hampton Kart Club, and that eventually progressed to the SCCA and a bunch of racing schools in England and also in America. And eventually, I, I started doing some amateur and pro racing. Cool, cool. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about that. We're going to learn about your passion and love for cars. And we're going to talk a little bit during this discussion about a very special car that 
a past guest and my friend and your friend Rod Emery built for you that I got to see actually the moment you first saw it, which was pretty cool at Rensport. Yeah. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests about a success quote or a mantra. I mean, somebody who's been as successful in the music industry as you have, there must be some kind of saying in your life that stands out for you. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, John, take the wheel. Okay. Well, um, uh, don't don't laugh when you hear this one because I think uh, no, if you I actually, if, <laughs> maybe if you spend a little time <laughs> thinking about it, it might be a little bit more profound and deeper than it might appear at, at first. My mantra is: when you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you're still in the frickin' tunnel. And <laughs> and I sorry, know that I wasn't it, supposed it, to laugh, was I? <laughs> it seems silly, but the the truth of the matter is, I actually live by that. Um, you know, my my feeling is that you know you're not finished with something until you're actually finished with it. And when you think you 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 can see the end of it, uh, and I think it, that's the time to work harder. And uh, so I think that the you know the saying sounds a little it's a little flippant and kind of funny, but um, in reality, I think it actually has a lot of meaning. I have a friend that says when you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you better be careful because it could be the train. So, <laughs> well, that's a, that's the second that's the second part of that uh, same mantra. Well, you know, when you think about your passion for cars, and I know the music industry is is certainly a challenging industry, but I like that thought process because how it can relate to not only your career in music and and the fact that you know what maybe we're writing this song we can go a little further we can make it a little better we're not done yet. Uh, is it the same for your passion for cars? I mean, when you think back to your racing career, um, obviously you can always get a little better. Those lap times could come down a little bit. So does it integrate into that part of your life? Oh, it sure it does. It in- integrates into my personality you know, on, on all phases of my life, whether it be music, uh, writing a song, trying to make a record, trying to, uh, you know, drive a race car faster. It, it, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it's all those things. I think I'm a person that's kind of driven and um, I have a high, I set a high standard for myself. So that's a formula for uh, hopefully for success. And, and it certainly is, is uh, something that any race driver will tell you, you know, they're always looking for the better, you know, the better tire, the better lap time, the better, uh, the better car, you know, for that matter, trying right. to, you know, squeeze out those uh, hundredths of a second. So that's really, it. I think I've carried it through my entire life. No doubt. Well, you kind of answer this next question for me, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit. I always like to ask my guests to share a story that instigated the moment that their passion for cars really came together. And you talk about finding that box of old magazines. And I kind of chuckle because my next door neighbor, when I was a kid, would throw out car magazines and I'd sneak over there on Monday mornings before the trash man and pull them out and take them back to my fort behind the house and, uh, <laughs> and look at these cool car magazines. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew, you know what, in addition to my passion and, and love for music, I am a car guy. I, I was always tinkering around with cars, and I was always trying to convince my parents, who were fairly conservative and very, you know, middle class folks who, uh, you know, didn't have a lot. But I was always trying to convince them to buy uh, some kind of car, some cool car. <laughs> you know, like when they'd go to the Chevy dealer to buy a, I remember in the 1950s to buy a, a 1955 four door 210. I wanted him to get a Bel Air. You know, I wanted him to get a convertible. I wanted him to get the <laughs> yeah. V8. But it was one of those things. It was always kind of a challenge. Eventually, I talked him into buying me a little, um, 
I bought a Renault Dauphine, took the muffler off, used to fool around with that. And eventually we got a Corvair, one of the first Corvairs, and I ended up modifying it and putting um, a four barrel on it and took the two, uh, the two, two, two barrels off or two one barrels off. And, uh, nice. you know, so I was always tinkering. And um, one thing I, through my tinkering learned that I was a pretty crappy mechanic and I uh, figured I better find some people who could do a lot better job on that department. But I just <laughs> love driving. And um, I've always felt I had a talent for driving. And then eventually I, I got to go to some racing schools and um, I, did, I did okay. Yeah, no doubt. Renault Dauphine, my parents had one of those when I was little, 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 little. Yeah, I haven't heard that word in a long time. Well, you know what you know what's funny about that car? It had it had this feature that they made a big deal out of in those days. It had a city horn and a country horn. And it had a little (laughs) it had a little switch under the under the steering wheel on the on the steering column. And you could slip it between beep beep and boop boop. And and that was uh that was kind of a funny little quirky little thing about that car. Now, there sounds like a title for a song, Beep, Beep, Boop, Boop. I, I think, think I've written that on something. <laughs> yeah, I think you have, no doubt. Well, I always like to ask my guests about some of the many roads they've driven down. I mean, you think about your life. You know, I was thinking about you last night because when I was at Rensport, I met so many amazing people. And I met Jackie X, got to sit down and chat yeah. with him. And, of course, I got to meet you. And I thought for a minute, I went, wait, these two guys are almost the same age. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been around. I mean, you don't look like your age at all. Neither did Jackie. And I think maybe it has to do with a, a life well lived. But I always like to ask people about a big challenge or a big failure they face along the way, because these are amazing learning moments and they can help people who might be going through the same thing. So can you walk us through maybe one of those times in your life, whether it's racing or music? Sure. I mean, uh, where, where do you want to start? Uh, you know, any, any, any musician will tell you that the pitfalls and the uh, struggles along the way, if, you're, if you become, actually become successful in music, you've, got, you've definitely got some stories. For me personally, uh, you know, without going into too many details, I, I wrote a book uh, called Change of Seasons about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And yeah, uh, in, that, in that book, I detail um, a particular time in my life in the, in the late 80s when, you know, we had been on tour for 20 years, had a string of hits, amazing uh, popular success. And I had not paid very, very close attention to the business side of, uh, of my life and my world. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, I was, you know, I was content to just uh, bop around the world being a, a pop star and, you know, living the dream and uh, acting as though there was no responsibility. And it all kind of came crashing down when I realized there was some finance, you know, heavy duty financial issues and a lot of things were mismanaged. And mm-hmm. I had to claw my way back out of that uh, situation. And it wasn't easy. It required, uh, you know, a lot of uh, mental and physical kind of uh, changes on my part. I oh, yeah. New York City, moved to Colorado, started my life over again, and you know, got divorced, got remarried, had a kid, built a house. So it it was really it took took me over ten years to really uh, kind of come back from that. But I came back from it uh, as a completely different person with a different point of view and a different way of looking at the world and looking at, at my career. So uh, in oh, the year, no it doubt, was the best thing that ever happened to me. But at the time when it happened, it, of course, it felt like the world was you know crashing down. Yeah, you know, it's a fantastic book. And I know in that book you talked about, you had a a nice collection of cars and you had to sell some of those cars off. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people have gone through those things. But let me ask you this, because it's an interesting comment you made that it was a very difficult time, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to you. And I know in the book you talk about maybe growing up a little bit during that time and realizing that I I need to become responsible for some things. You know, I can't just keep living this flippant life. And certainly that occurred. But 
For those people out there that might be going through something like this, what's one of the biggest takeaways from that experience that can give them a little light at the end of the tunnel so they can get to that end of the tunnel and realize there is hope after that point? Well, I think it has a lot to do with uh, how much intestinal fortitude you have and how much mm. you're willing to sacrifice. Uh, I, what I find is, you know, what I've found, in, especially in the entertainment business and, you know, the music business and things, a lot of people become... They start to identify themselves with the trappings of their success. Uh, they they mm. judge their self-worth by their uh, popularity. And I think that's a very mm. dangerous place to be because uh, your popularity and your success uh, when it comes to, you know, commercial success and especially in the music business is only as good as, uh, you know, as, you know, luck, the public, radio, um, the Internet. It could be a million things. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think you have to be uh, – you have to – create a life for yourself where you're satisfied and, and happy and content with who you are outside of that. And, and don't confuse uh, your popularity with your self-worth. I think that's probably mm. the most important thing. Nicely said. You know, I always like to ask my guests about a big aha moment, but what I'd love to talk a little bit here is about something very cool that's going to happen next year at Amelia Island. Uh, Bill Warner's been a guest on this show and I know that you're doing something kind of cool for the 2019 uh, Amelia Island Concours called uh, Automobiles and Guitars, I believe. It's cars, uh, cars and guitars and cars. cars yeah, and tell guitars. me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I went to Amelia Island for the first time last year and uh, really enjoyed, Not, I mean, obviously, it's, it's one of the great car events in the world, but really enjoyed being around uh, Bill Warner and his crew, uh, Chris Brewer in particular. Great, great people who really, um, they have a passion for cars, and they're, they're just good, solid people. And uh, I just immediately uh, enjoyed you know, their company and, and felt like I had joined a part of a family in a weird way. And Chris Brewer uh, reached out to me and with an idea. He's a great, he has a great marketing mind. And he said, uh, you know, he came up with this concept of pairing vintage cars with vintage guitars. And I said, hey, dude, you're, you're speaking my language right up my alley. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so we began to um, curate this uh, portion of the show at Amelia Island coming up uh, for 2019. Chris is collecting cars. I'm collecting cars. I'm collecting guitars. Chris is collecting guitars. And we're going to put them all together and um, give people a sense of uh, the design aesthetic, you know, that where uh, these two iconic items meet, really, you know. Uh, yeah. And I think people uh, will, will appreciate that, especially the true car lovers, you know, who are, are going to see, hey, you know, when, when this 1959 MG was built, there was a 59 Les Paul Jr., you know, that, that had this kind of, uh, can relate the, here again, the design aesthetic uh, to, to both the instrument and the automobile. Very cool. Very cool. I, I'm going to make it out there this uh, next year because uh, it's just a spectacular event. And shout out to Chris for connecting you and I. He's just the most awesome guy. I don't think yeah. the smile ever leaves Chris's <laughs> face. And yeah. and what yeah, what Bill's pulled off with Amelia over the years and uh, so happy to see him back from a pretty serious illness, too. I saw him yeah. during car week and he just looked great. So, oh, I can't wait for this. This is very cool. You'll like to hear, John. I've got a guitar hanging on my wall because I played guitar as a kid. A Fender Stratocaster Hot Rod Edition, one ah, of 200 okay. that they made, which is, yeah, kind of cool. <laughs> I had to get it. It was just candy apple red with a, a pick guard that was black engine turned metal. So, uh, oh, there yeah, you go. Very cool. Yep, yep, yep. They go together. Yep. Well, let's have a little bit of fun as if we're not already and talk about your first really special car. I know you've had some really cool cars in your garage. You and I share a passion for Porsche too. And I know you've had a 
first edition turbo. I've got a later edition turbo, but tell us about that first car that you got. Maybe it's when you started being successful or maybe it was earlier. I don't know. That really stands out for you and maybe share a memory about that vehicle. Well, before I, I will for sure, but I, I just got to mention one thing. I think it's kind of cool. Um, years ago, uh, when I, I, I'll go back to when I was trying to convince my parents to buy cooler cars than they really wanted. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were ready to get a new car in 1968, and um, they were looking at a Pontiac Tempest. And I convinced yep. them that the Pontiac GTO was the same thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they bought the Pontiac GTO, and they didn't even realize what they were buying. A few years later, in 1972, Daryl and I uh, scraped up some money, and we bought that Pontiac GTO from them, and uh, wow. we used it to go on tour in 1972. We actually traveled around the, the most of the East Coast uh, in a Pontiac GTO with five guys in it. Um, and oh, my gosh. That's how we toured, and it was really incredible. And it was during the gas crisis, which was also a, a very challenging thing. So while we were on stage, if we didn't have the odd or even plate number for gas the next day, our road manager would run out and fill it with gas before midnight so we could get to the next town. So it was really – Oh, my gosh. It was pretty amazing <laughs> time, period of time. So I just want to throw that in there because I, I just – That I, is I'll, an – Never awesome story. Yeah. I love the fact that you talked to your folks into believing a Tempest was the same as a GTO. That is so cool. Well, my, 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 <laughs> luckily for me at the time, my girlfriend's father ran the Pontiac dealership in the town where we lived. Uh, uh, so we, we go. got a little, we got a little <laughs> extra love on it. Love there. Um, but uh, the first yeah. kind of cool car that I bought for myself was actually an Alfa Romeo Spider, a 1973 Alfa Romeo Spider. And I had mm. gone to the New York Auto Show, and uh, I saw one sitting there. It just spoke to me. The lines were so beautiful, and it was a cool little car. It was something I could afford. And I uh, bought that car, and I uh, really, really loved that car. Uh, but then, of course, the 77 Turbo Carrera that I bought at Beverly Hills Porsche and Wilshire Boulevard in 1977, was uh, that was the first yeah. se uh, real serious car. Yeah, no kidding. I understand there's a little story that might uh, relate to another famous musician that maybe had his claim on that car first. Am I, is my memory right? Right. Well, what, what had happened was I was cruising around uh, L.A. and I drove past the showroom. And there it was sitting in the showroom. I could see the front of the car. And I, from reading the magazines, I knew what it was. I didn't actually go into the, sh the dealership at the time, but I went back and I called my manager. And I mentioned to him that uh, this amazing car in the showroom, he said, let's go down and take a look. So he and I drove down. And when we walked inside, I, it was a red 930 turbo uh, Carrera with gold BBS wheels. It was very flashy. <laughs> and very uh, period. <laughs> I just, I was like, I was transfixed. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is too much. I got to have this car. And uh, the salesman yeah. came out and told us that there was a deposit on it. And as it turned out, Rod Stewart had put a deposit on that car. Oh, um, and right. <laughs> my, my manager uh, being, you know, they do what managers do. He put his yeah. arm around the salesman and said, let's go in the office. I need to talk to you. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, I don't know what exactly transpired in there, but uh, when he came out, he had a big smile on his face and said, the car's yours. And uh, nice. so, so uh, whatever happened, uh, I owe it to my manager on that one. Yeah, I think so. What a cool story. Now, I understand also you have another kind of cool, well, you have a lot of cool cars, but another cool car, final edition Audi TT RS that my buddy and past cars, yeah, I guess, Mitch Williams, who's the CEO of APR, did a little tweaking for you down there yeah, in Alabama? Yeah, I had a 2013 Audi TTRS final edition, which was a really unique car. Uh, Nimbus gray paint, very unusual paint. I had, had APR stage two tune. It was putting out about 
440 horse. It was very serious, uh, manual transmission, great car, very unusual. Um, but I did sell it and, uh, I sold it. I'm not sure who it, the owner, the new owner is cause I sold it through a broker, but I hope they enjoy it because it was a great car. And now I'm, uh, my, my day-to-day driver is a Audi RS three which is nice. equally very, very cool. And what I like about it, it's a, a true sleeper. You know, it, it flies under the radar to the average person on the, on the street, yep. but it's got some serious uh, oomph to it, 400 horsepower. And I just took it up to the track the other day and did a lapping day in it uh, with Andy Pilgrim. And uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's an amazing car to drive. Street cars are, always show their weakness when, it, when you put them on a track, but uh, this car was yeah. very impressive. Well. And you hang with some cool people, John. Uh, Andy's been a guest on the show. Talk about a guy with a lot of seat time. I mean, oh, that guy's the guy to have, he's have next to you at the track. He's yeah, incredible. he's very cool. Yeah. Well, and the work that they do at APR, I got to spend four days down there in uh, Alabama with Mitch and his crew and drive at their track with some of their race cars. And, oh, my gosh, those guys, they're the best of the best. They do some cool stuff. You know, aftermarket uh, um, stuff, I... Their research and their technology and the, the stuff they put out is very, very high quality. And, uh, yeah. boy, it really uh, it works. It certainly works. Well, in that company, they also now own Dynan, which is pretty cool. So they do some right. real cool things for BMWs and they do exactly. Porsches. And yeah, awesome company. Well, how about the old seller's remorse story, the tear in the eye? Is there one car, if you can think <laughs> of one car? And let's, let's take money out of the equation because that clouds everything. Let's just think from our heart here. Uh, one car that you wish you could have back? Yeah, when I sold my car collection uh, in, in the late 1980s, uh, when I was kind of cleaning house and kind of changing my life, I sold, mm-hmm. I had a 1956 356A Speedster, silver, oh. silver with a red interior. Of yes. all the cars I had to sell or wanted to sell, that was the one I should not have sold. Not, not for yeah. you know, financial reasons, because obviously they, you know, their value has gone through the roof, but just because it was such an amazing car. Um, perhaps one of the reasons that uh, flash forward to uh, the present day, hooking up with Rod Emery, I think I was trying to, in a way, recreate the car that I lost. Not exactly, but in a different way, but but with the spirit, the same spirit. Well, you made a great segue here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this car, because I walked up to Rod at Rensport. He was talking with Hurley Haywood. Both those guys have been on the show. Hurley's been on twice, and he said, hey, let me show you a pretty special car. I'm going to deliver it to a guy. To... And we started talking. He said the guy's name is John, and we're talking. I had no idea it was you. And all of a sudden, you walk up, and I'm like, Wait a minute. I think I know who this guy is. So tell us about this amazing outlaw build. And for those of you who don't know Rod Emery, come on, catch up with us here because he builds insane outlaws, comes from a legacy of family that is just amazing. Listen to his show here on Cars Yap, hear about his past. So tell me about this very cool car. And I'm sitting here looking at a picture of you. Looks like you're probably up on Mulholland or somewhere in a canyon in LA sitting next to this beautiful little car that you found in a barn in Texas, right? Yeah, well, Rod actually found it for me, uh, but ah, okay. yeah, you know we, we step back a little bit because uh, you know finding Rod Emery, discovering him, uh, and meeting him, and then beginning this incredible journey. Because I know the word journey kind of gets overused, but it really is a journey. It was a two-year process uh, of finding the donor car in a barn in Texas, a, a true bar f- barn find with a crumbled front end um, and having it metamorphosized by Rod yeah. <laughs> into, 
into this incredible piece of art, uh, artwork, automotive artwork, was just an amazing experience. In fact, now that it's done, I'm a little depressed because <laughs> every day it was something for me to look forward to and think about and collaborate. Yeah. And this creative process of dealing with Rod and working with him and just bringing this thing together uh, with his expertise and and my dream uh, and him making my dream come true was really uh, uh, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Beyond the fact that the car is incredible, uh, the experience of, of working with him was just unbelievable. Yeah, he and his team are just spectacular. Now, let's talk about this car just for a little bit here, some of the specs on it. One thing I noticed was it's a beautiful color, and I was really surprised when you told me it was an actual old 356 color. Yeah. Well, you know, um, th- that was one of the big, the biggest dilemmas in in, the, in making the, building this car was the color because I really didn't. I wanted to get it right, and you know, you can't go wrong with Porsche silver. I mean, Porsche classic silver, GT silver, whatever the different versions of it are, always so beautiful, and a lot of Rod's cars do come out in the, in the silver color. But I, I just wanted something unique, but I wanted something that just was traditional. And I began to look uh, on all the, the color charts, uh, the going back through the Porsche's history, and I discovered this color called graphite metallic, which was only used in 54 and 55. It was an early metallic. In those days, a lot of car companies were not uh, didn't have the technology to do metallic paints. And um, I found it to be uh, very unusual. And it was one of the things that, that kind of set the tone for the for the theme of the car and and I call the car uh 356's greatest hits because what we began to do was piece together elements of what I and what Rod thought were the best qualities of the 356 model line from the pre-A all the way through the, to the T6 in the 60s. And um, bumpers that are that look like the GT bumpers molded to the body. Uh, it has an A nose because even though it's a B Cabriolet, the nose of the original car was crushed, uh, hit, hit a tree. So Rod says, well, we've got to redo the nose. What do you want? I said, well, the A nose is more elegant. Let's use the A nose. So the car began to be this hybrid and, uh, you know, kind of uh, put it, putting together really the what I think are the greatest design elements. Um, it has a it has a, a removable, conver- a removable hard top, which the car had. At the same time, Rod wanted to chop it and lean the uh, windshield A-pillar back. So it became almost a chop top, and it looked almost like a it's a cross between a coupe and a speedster with a hard top. So it has all these combinations of things. You know, it has speedster seats. Um, it has door panels from the Roadster model. It has mm. – uh, the list goes on and on. I, I don't even – you know, I could bore you, I'm sure, for hours with uh, <laughs> all the, you know, little subtle design elements. And, of course, Rod put his yeah. – uh, his magic to the body work. You know, he's, he's a master bodybuilder and craftsman and metal yeah. worker. And uh, yeah. so here again, uh, just um, it's just become a, a passion project. And what about the uh, engine in the back? Well, that, yeah, that's another thing. Well, you know, the original car came with a 60 horsepower motor. Mm-hmm. Rod has his own uh, bespoke engines built um, by Rothsport up in, um, in uh, Oregon. And Jeff Gamroth uh, builds these motors for Rod. And um, they're basically, they're kind of based on a 964 architecture of the uh, last of the air-cooled uh, 911s with missing mm-hmm. a cylinder, basically a four-cylinder version, a four-cylinder mm-hmm. overhead cam, dual ignition version of a 911 engine. So yes. it's got, it's got uh, two 48-millimeter you know, Webers. It's putting out 205 horsepower. 
So uh, it's a huge upgrade, and the car weighs essentially the same as the original car did, around 1,900 pounds. So as you can see, um, it's it's got some kick in the butt, you know. Uh, so, and Rod uh, Rod pairs that with a 901 transmission. Uh, and uh, you have your choice between five and four speed. I went with four speed because the engine has so much torque. You really don't mm-hmm. need the extra gears. Uh, so yeah. it's just been here again, just this amazing collaboration of, of uh, putting together these elements. And um, it's, a, it's a jewel. Let me ask you this. When you first jumped in that car and got to drive it for the first time, what went through your mind? I got to drive it for the first time on a parade lap at Laguna Seca. That was the first time. I watched you go around the track. I saw the smile on your face. Yeah, I (laughs) I was going a little too fast. I I should not have done what I did, Uh, especially in a car that wasn't necessarily 100% uh, dialed in. But I couldn't help myself. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah. And I just knew that, you know, Rod still needed to do some finishing touches on it. But I just knew that something special was happening. And, I, you know, as you said, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. It, the, the, the car just, you know, it feels like a, a 356. It's got those that beautiful light steering, uh, you know, that effortless steering. It's mm-hmm. got that the smells and the sounds. But it's got this incredible motor, you know, modern motor. It's got disc brakes. So it's very drivable. I mean, I'm an old school driver. I like to drive. And, uh, you know, that was another thing that Rod and I talked about. You know, we I wanted a car that really I could really drive. Now that it's, it's finished and it's so beautiful, now I'm afraid to drive it. So I don't know what I've done to myself. <laughs> well, I had a talk with my guest yesterday. You know what? My advice there is just get out and drive it and yeah, enjoy it. Right. Do not save right. it. Do not save it for the next guy. I picked up a, a Beck Spider that John Wilhoy built, another great builder down in Long Beach. And the, the first, took a drive up the coast of my son when he was eight years old. And the first night we stopped, there was a chip and I was all upset. And he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Dad, that's not a rock chip. That's a memory mark from today. Wow. I'll never forget those. Oh, I know. What yeah, a profound. You're, man, your son, yeah. <laughs> your son is a very, a very highly evolved uh, dude. Yeah, for eight-year-old. Yeah. Well, he's, he's about to turn 25. I'm very proud of him. But. I'll never forget that. And it sticks with me today. If I get a rock chip on my turbo or any car, I just go, you know what? It's a memory for today. Well, briefly, too, I wanted to touch on this new album. I love it. It's awesome. Thank you. Uh, Your newest album, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. It's just brilliant. Uh, Just real briefly, let our listeners know uh, where the the inspiration from this came from. And I love the video that you did with the the key song there. It's just fantastic. Uh My mom's dad had Cotton Farms in Arkansas brought back some wonderful memories for her, too. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit of a musical historian. You know, I here again, it kind of transfers from the car thing, you know, uh, loving the history of the Porsche and things like that. And what happened was uh, after writing my book, it, it allowed me to tap back into the, the music that I was making before I met Daryl Hall, before he and I began working together. And we went in a very distinctly pop direction. But I was a folk blues musician. I played a blues guitar. And uh, what I wanted to do was go back and re revisit and recapture the magic that made me want to be a musician as a kid. So I went back mm. to the songs that I played, uh, Mississippi John Hurt, Delta Blues, Ragtime, stuff that um, really music that predates rock and roll. And uh, through, uh, through my uh, relationship and friendship with some incredible Nashville musicians, I pulled together a really unusual band, and we uh, we made this music uh, very live, very kinetically, uh, you know, spontaneously in the studio. And um, it's it's really a it it really is a 
it's our true uh, reflection of who I am in the at the deepest level of of my musicianship, and that's wow. what this record is about. It's fantastic. I encourage the listeners out there. You've got to get your hands on it, listen to it, listen to it when you're out in the garage working on your cars. They give go. you a whole nother vibe, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, John. I love this question because it kind of shares a little bit about how you think of yourself. If you were manifested into a car and woke up tomorrow morning as a car in the garage, what would John Oates be and why? Wow. Okay. Boy, oh boy. This is the, the <laughs> ultimate car question, right? Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to say a 550 RSK Spider. Man, lightweight, minimalist, badass, giant killer. Yeah. Maybe that's a reflection on my my size. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, the great thing about not being tall, and I'm not tall either, is you right. can fit in any race car. That's right. that, That's very true. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess yeah. that's my answer. Very nice. I love it. Well, John, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal. Let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, John, we're entering the last lap. This is a place you've been many times being a race car driver. Uh, I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give me some very quick blips of that 550 throttle. So here we go. Well, what's the best automotive advice or racing advice you've ever received? Wow. Uh, racing advice would be study with a good good racing instructor and pay attention and keep your eyes moving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I had uh, Johnny Unser, one of the Unser family racers on the show, and his answer to that was, 
keep your eyes up. His uncle Bobby Unser, of course, we all know the Unser family, uh, told him that. Keep your eyes up. So I think you're in uh, good company here. Now, how about a personal habit? Could you share one of those that you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? A uh, personal habit is just to try to, you know, try to treat people, uh, you know, with the respect that you'd, you'd want to be treated with and uh, to just uh, keep moving, you know, keep moving, keep moving forward. And whether that's physically moving, you know, walking, stretching, you know, exercising, yeah. uh-huh. or it's, yeah. uh, you know, more of a, you know, emotionally or uh, psychically moving forward. You know, I mentioned meeting Jackie X and the fact that you two guys are very close in age. And the fact that you are still incredibly active, I mean, you just made another album, for goodness sake. When most people are thinking, oh, it's time to retire, lay back, kick back. But I think that's the secret sauce to life. You can't stop. You've got to keep doing things. Uh, yeah, you know, stay active. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I did 70 shows this year, so I, I'm definitely wow. active. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. is incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, I think, yeah, I think taking care of yourself physically is the key there because there's no way you could. Could that's pull right. that off. That's right. Yeah, very nicely done. 70 shows. Man, that's that's impressive. Now, how about a resource? There are incredible resources for us automotive enthusiasts out there. Is there one in particular you like? Maybe this is a blog, like Bring a Trailer, that nasty thing that teases me every morning. Yeah, I um, I really like uh, Motortrend.com. So I can ah, catch yeah. up on all the obscure racing that's going on, you know, the stuff that you don't necessarily see on TV. It's great stories, great things like that. I love following Rod Emery's Instagram because I just love to love to see his work as it progresses, oh, yeah. whether it's mine or other other people. You know, I like Jay Leno. Uh, I think his, his show is really entertaining, and uh, yep. I've always enjoyed that. And uh, basically, um, you know, Velocity TV is always a good one, too. Oh, yeah. Lots of great stuff. Now, if I could wave my magic wand and arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Oh, without a doubt. Tazio Nuvolari. I would Ooh. love to have a glass of wine in Italy or maybe in Germany after <laughs> he won the, the 1935 German Grand Prix and beat the auto unions with his little Alfa yeah. Romeo. I think that would have been the most incredible experience uh, I could even imagine. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely would be. Well, I always ask my guests for a book reference, and I want to remind them out there, if you've not had a chance to get your hands on Change of Season, autobiography that John Oates wrote in collaboration. You, you had somebody help write that with you, right? Yeah, a guy named Chris Epting, a, a great collaborator, yep. a great writer from uh, Southern California. Absolutely. I mean, it's an awesome book. You should read it. it. It John really opens up a life that is absolutely incredible and the ups and downs and everything. But is there a, another book you might share with us that you're a big fan of that you've read? Oh, boy, I don't even know where to uh, begin. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know, I mean, it's a tough question. A great book that uh, that I just finished is called Escaping the Delta. And it's a story about the Delta Blues and the, uh, Delta, the Delta area of Mississippi and Arkansas, where, uh, where some of this great American music has, uh, you know, kind of uh, basically started, originated. Very cool. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great resources. John is been so kind to share on his Cars yeah website page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in John Oates, and that everything will be listed right there for quick, easy links to buy. And again, I encourage you to get your hands on Change of Seasons. This is a really, really wonderful book. And if you grew up in the time period of uh, Hall and Oates like I did, I was telling John in our pre-show chat that really brought back memories of my meeting my wife and dating. And we've been married 34 years now and going back and listening to those songs during the Late 70s, 80s brought back some awesome memories for me. Thank you for that. All right, John, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Maybe we already answered it talking about this outlaw build you already have, but let's 
let's move that car to the back of the garage. I'll let you keep that car. But today I'm going to, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. Money is no object today. I'm going to write that big golfer's check that those golfers hold at the end of the tournaments. But there's a couple rules here. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. I want you to keep it. And I also, this isn't a problem for you. I want you to drive it. Don't worry about it. Put some memory marks on that thing, okay? Get out there and have some fun. So what can I buy you today, John? Well, any car at at any time. Any any car, any time. Anybody who owns it, I'm going to get it from them and deliver it to you there in Nashville. Holy cow. Holy cow. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. All right. I know. I'll take a I'll take a Mercedes 300 SLR. Ooh. Okay. You threw me for a loop here. Now, what is it about the SLR that you like so much? I had this incredible fascination with uh, Sterling Moss and Dennis Jenkinson when they won the Mille Amelia. That car has always, always stood out in my mind as just a, a paragon of technology in, in the 50s. And there's something about the lines and the, 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 you know, the legend behind that. That would be the one, the Goldwing Coupe. Oh, my gosh. You're not a cheap date, are you? No, Oh, my I'm gosh. Not. This is going to cost me a few bucks. It's going to cost me oh, Yeah, I think so. But uh, maybe I go over to the, I've been to the museum there in Stuttgart. They've got a beautiful ones sitting there. Maybe I can talk them out of that car. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, John, listen, you've taken us on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing an amazing musical journey, but even more so, a car journey. And it's so great to learn more about you and your passion for cars. Is there a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer our listeners before you rip off into the sunset in that Mercedes? Yeah. Put your cell phone down and drive. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, please. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you these days and learn more about what you're doing, making music, and where you're going? Uh, Well, I'm uh, johnoates.com. I got a Facebook page. You can find me there. And, uh, John Oates Official on on Instagram. Great. Awesome. I follow all those. Great website, by the way. Really, really nice. Love following what you're doing on Instagram. Well, listeners, again, you can find everything John has shared on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Everything will be listed there. And another shout out to our good friend Chris Brewer for connecting us. What an awesome guy he is. Uh, I know I was taking a picture uh, of you at Amelia, and he photobombed the picture. I'll send you a copy of that. It'll put a big smile on your face. Well, John, thanks again for calling in today, being so generous with your time, your expertise, your talents, and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road, or I'll see you at Amelia Island. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!